I love the playoffs. Anything can happen. But the best part? It's like bonus football. And bonus football means betting bonuses with Gambit DC. For a limited time, get up to a 57% multi-sport parlay boost on the Gambit DC app, online, or at any Gambit DC retail location throughout the district. It's the most exciting time to be a fan. So make your play and get the whole field advantage with Gambit DC. Limited time offer, terms and conditions apply. Please buy responsibly. Let me explain something to you sooner fans. Look right in the camera when I say this. You're spoiled. You're acting like a petulant child right now. You're sport rotten. You're used to offenses that are super explosive and all this jazz, jazz and all this, that, and the other. Yo, what's good, everybody? Welcome to Unfair Sports, where we take a pensive approach to the sports conversation. I am your host, Jay, with your favorite co-host, Jimmy. Thank you for watching us here on YouTube as well as listen to us wherever podcasts are downloaded and listened to. While you're there, rate us and review us and give us five stars. You think we deserve it? Meh. Just give us five anyway. Gifted. All right. So on today's episode of Unfair Sports, we're going to dive right into the best in the NFC. Concerns in the AFC. A running back change should happen. Bringing back one word. Looks like a weekly staple. And it feels like there's a lot of sooner magiclessness happening in college football. I don't know. So hit us up on the unfair fan line, 430-901-1906, and uh, give us your strongest opinions and let you know let us know what you think of the show. We like to hear from you all, so uh, hit us up on that. You can see it in the description below as well. Unfair fan line, 430-901-1906. <laughs> Jam Master Kansas Jayhawk, what's going on? What it do, baby? Man, here to have fun, man. Here to have fun. Oh man, it was what a week. We had a weekend of activity, and I've I was so excited about the show this week. Yeah, there was so much that happened in the NFL, so much happened in other sports. But to be honest, I feel like we're more of an NFL show mm-hmm. uh, throughout the year in comparison. I feel like we get more NFL stories and we do more NFL conversation than we do any other sport, even though we both love basketball, right. dub love, blue love college football. So we'll sprinkle it in there to keep it entertaining. But to be honest, it's really about NFL. Mm-hmm. It's really about NFL. NFL's king for a reason. And so we're going to go ahead and just dive quickly right into it like this. There were really good games this weekend. Unfortunately, both of our top teams took an L that we hope that they wouldn't have taken. Yes. And I'm okay with it, honestly. And I'll explain shortly. So first off, we're going to jump into one game that I felt like really makes a significant difference of what's going to happen in the NFL this year. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to Los Angeles to play the LA Rams at the new SoFi Stadium. The Buccaneers did not prevail. They took a big L, losing 34-24 to... The Rams. Brady had a pretty solid game. He threw the ball a lot more than he should have. 41 for 55, 432 with a touchdown. Only one, which is a little disturbing. And then Matt Ryan was looking like, I mean, sorry, Matt Stafford was looking like he's supposed to look like (laughs) in MVP form for 343 with four touchdowns. So, Jimmy, after this W, do you feel like, is it fair to say that the Rams are the best team in the NFC? 
is it fair to say the Rams are the best team in the NFC? It's unfair for this particular reason. And this actually goes back to college football. One of the things I hate about college football is the preseason poll. And I know that that's just uh, that's in a sense of reference. You have to have you have to have these teams ranked in some fashion. Right. And before any games have played, I guess this is the best way to do it. Yeah, but it's no what games are valuable. What right, teams are got right. value or so not? There, right. there are other reasons why you rank the teams preseason. But before you've had a chance to see the teams play games, you really don't know who the best teams are truly are. All things being equal. Right. Right. So in the NFL, I usually don't like to declare one team as the best team this early in the season maybe give me seven or eight games give me half of a season and then i can give you a better gauge because there are a lot of teams who look good in september there are a lot of teams who look good in october but in november and december they don't look good and that's when it matters the most now on the flip side of that if you ask me who's playing the, the best football in the nfc mm-hmm. yes it is the rams but that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the best team okay I can give you that. I can't say that the Rams are the best team in the NFC, even though they did beat the defending champions mm-hmm. at home in a pretty good game. They, they looked composed. They looked like a team that honestly should have won that game. Mm-hmm. To be honest, uh, Tampa Bay was down some defensive players, a little bit depleted uh, due to injury. So there was really no excuse for the Rams not to win that game. But you're right. The biggest thing is, what are they going to look like when the games truly matter going into November, into December, because they started the season off playing the Bears and the Colts. Mm-hmm. It's not really the most competitive teams to go up against right. to really gauge yourself, but they did get a good gauge in this game. This is the game that Matt Stafford needs to show up with. I get that everyone wants to proclaim that Matt Stafford is such a great quarterback and we should be giving him props and praising him, but Matt Stafford's 33 years old. We've watched him for roughly 12 years. Mm. We've seen this guy. We know about this guy. We've seen everything he can possibly do. Now he's technically on a stacked team. So he should be doing this. This is the stuff that we've always expected from him. Ooh. He throws over 4,000 yards every season with uh-huh. the Lions. Did you expect him to not put these type of numbers up? The What he's got now in comparison to Detroit is he has a defense that actually helps him by stopping the other team from scoring. Mm-hmm. That's rough. So you're already – so when we're in a position to finally give Matt Stafford his flowers, right, former number one pick, rocket arm out of Georgia, essentially what you're saying, because no matter what he does this season, if he throws for 6,000 yards, and you and I who both picked him to be the MVP, and this is part of the reason why. Minimum 5,200 yards. He better already, get a minimum. If you're already saying this now, you have to stick to it, and therefore you will never be able to give him his flowers this season, even though he's your MVP pick, because you're saying that – He's just doing what most – are you saying what, he, he, what he's doing is most other quarterbacks would do this exact same thing in his position? I mean, is that what you're saying? Because that, that is kind of unfair to Matt Stafford. As, that's unfair to Matt Stafford? In a way, that's a bit unfair. That a quarterback in the system with uh-huh. um, our guy, good old Sean McVay, yes. would put up this type of yards? Because, I mean, you do know the numbers that Jared Goff put off put up when he was there, right? Let me tell you real quick. Yes. Let me tell yes, you real quick. Jared Goff, first year, he only played seven games. He threw 4,000 yards. Okay. His second season, 3,800 yards. Uh-huh. His third season, 4,600 yards. Mm-hmm. His fifth season, 4,600 yards. And then last year, 3,900. So that tells me that if Jared Goff can put up 4,600 yards and everybody says he sucks, everybody. Mm-hmm. Stafford better give me 5,200 or I can't give him anything. 
Mm-hmm. He threw for 4,600 right, yards, so then, Jimmy. All right, so for you, then there is a limit. If he can match or exceed 5,200 passing yards, then you will say, okay, it's not all the Sean McVay system. A big part of it is Matthew Stafford really is a good quarterback, and we can see this now that he has certain pieces or certain amounts of support in place that any quarterback will want, really that any quarterback needs in order to be successful, right? As long as he can produce the minimum numbers he did when he had Megatron, now that he has Cooper Cup, Woods, and Mm -hmm. just Van Jefferson, Mm -hmm. Deshaun Jackson, now he's got all these weapons with actual running backs as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. I, I. There's no flowers to really give him though. We already know, always known he had a rocket arm. But you gotta remember when Matt Stafford came into the league, he was proclaimed the number one pick when he was recruited to Georgia mm. as the number one player in the country out of high school. Right. We already knew that this was supposed to be what we got. So for me, as long as he outdoes Jared Goff's numbers, I won't bash him. But if he can't outdo Jared Goff's numbers. That is, as long as he plays all 16 games this year, mm-hmm. if he can't outdo what Jared Goff did with Sean McVay, I can't give him anything. But I'm going to pull back on that portion of it. Let's talk about how good they played in this game. Okay. They were able to quiet the Buccaneers' offense, which and they kept Tom Brady from throwing touchdowns. Tom Brady only had one touchdown in this game, which is mm-hmm. – I mean, he had four touchdowns with every game this year, at least four. Mm-hmm. He had a couple five touchdown games. So that Rams defense, to me, is legit. Yes, they're yes, legit. It is. I think that's the, the the conversation starter. Period was their ability mm-hmm. to quiet that that Buccaneers offense the way they did. And I think there was a simple formula to it. I think that they focused on stopping the run because if you yeah, stop the run and you establish that early, and I think total Tampa had what thirteen carries for thirty five yards total. So if you stop the run early, that forces them to pass. Forcing yep. them to pass forces Brady to have more dropbacks, 55, if I count correctly, 55 pass attempts. He threw the ball 55 times. Which gives Aaron Donald that many more opportunities to hit him and make his life uncomfortable, which is the only way that there is to be Brady. Actually, pressure doesn't beat Brady. It's got to be pressure up the middle. Yep, and Aaron Donald had a sack. Aaron Donald had a sack. (laughs) Just freaking amazing, dude. Yeah. So, to me, all this stated – I think the Rams are going to be the team to beat to mm-hmm. go to get through the NFC and win the Super Bowl as long as they remain healthy. Mm-hmm. There's absolutely no excuse for them to not make it to the NFC Championship game. Yeah, That's I, where I'm at. I agree. And I think psychologically, you know, there's a lot of things that the Bucks or and Tampa Brady can can use in order to make themselves better, to not really count themselves out. But to me, here's the biggest problem. As I watch this game, and this is one of the games that I flipped over to watch it on Fox from drive to drive instead of just watching it on Red Zone, it's this, is that there was absolutely no point in this game where the Rams looked uncomfortable. They looked very comfortable. They looked like they were practicing. I know they were playing on turf, but it's almost like if they had actually been playing on real grass, all their uniforms would have been clean. That's how comfortable they looked in this game. And if yes. you're the Bucks, forget losing 34-24. Forget everything else. They didn't feel uncomfortable at all. Nothing that you did on offense or defense forced them to feel that way. And if you can't make this type of team feel uncomfortable and make, therefore, uncomfortable decisions, yep. which leads to mistakes, then they're going to beat you worse than they did this time if you do meet in the playoffs. That is a con- – yeah, you're right. And to add that, the best part for the Rams is their schedule is super favorable come November through December. <laughs> they really have, I think – I mean, well, they've got some competitive games. Beginning of November, they they got the Titans coming to town. Then they mm-hmm. travel to San Francisco. They travel to Green Bay. 
Jacksonville comes to town. They travel to Arizona, which they're sneaky good right now. Yeah. Uh, the Seahawks come to them. They travel to Minnesota. The Ravens, they travel to Baltimore, which that one is a concern for me at the mm-hmm. end of the season mm-hmm. on the 2nd of January. And then San Fran comes to the crib. Technically, that that's and, and before that, you've got Cardinals, Seahawks, Giants, Lions, and Texans. I mean, <laughs> they, they better have the, the best record in the NFC. So. Mm. The next game that we can dive right into is the one that I'm concerned about, but should I be? Mm-hmm. So the Kansas City Chiefs played against the other Los Angeles team. It feels like the football is going through Los Angeles, know, which right? is really weird. I would have never <laughs> thought I'd ever say that or those words coming out of my I mouth. They were playing in soccer stadiums two years ago. and Exactly. Look at them. <laughs> Started from the bottom, now we up. <laughs> so the Chargers travel to Kansas City, play the Chiefs, and pull out a squeaker in a th- good, actually kind of a thriller game. Yeah. Uh, Chargers win 30 to 24. Uh, Patrick Mahomes looked like a rookie. They caused <laughs> Kansas City to turn the ball over four times, uh-huh. which is unheard of. So my question for you, Jimmy, on this one, with the Kansas City Chiefs being the last team in the AFC West for the first time in a long time, should we be concerned about the Chiefs? We should be concerned about the Chiefs. Now, back up a second before I reveal to you what I'm talking about. Start of the season, right? We went at Tennessee. Well, we talked about the Titans. Titans fans went at us. We went back at them. And each of us had a specific critique, one on each side of the ball. Your questions concern Ryan Tannehill in the quarterback position. My questions concern the defense's ability to stop people. So it's kind of the same way with this Kansas City Chiefs team. Nobody questions, nobody worries about the offense because you still have Mahomes, you still have the best tight end, and you still have potentially the best wide receiver, the most dangerous wide receiver. And you had a Clyde Edwards-Alaire who finally eclipsed 100 yards. Well, right at 100, right? Yeah. The defense. The defense, despite having probably the second-best defensive tackle in football, Chris Jones, and one of the best safeties in the game, Tyron Matthew, cannot stop anybody. That, so even three games in, even though I was just talking about you want to see what a team looks like a start to really assess who the best teams are, week eight, week nine, week ten, this Kansas City Chiefs defense, and this always seems to be a problem in the regular season, is one of the worst in football because you're giving up the second most rushing yards in football. You're giving up 31 points a game and you're third worst in total defense. Now, when a defense starts that way, when you think about it, when a defense starts that way early in the season, they really don't get into the top 10. And I know what a quarterback like Mahomes, he can make up for a lot of that, but Ooh. that may not fly this season for whatever <clears throat> reason, especially since you've taken two L's in a row. Something is different. These were close games. I know thrilling games could have gone either way, but something is different. Something has been caught on to, and I think it's how teams attack this defense. I, I'm opposite on that. I don't think it has anything to do with the teams that they're playing against. Mm. I think it's themselves. Let me explain why. Okay. I've mentioned this on numerous episodes on our fantasy show with OSG mm-hmm. here when we were talking about it in our preview, getting ready for it. Kansas City has the great eraser. No lead is too big. Mm-hmm. They're the Golden State Warriors mm-hmm. pre and during the Kevin Durant era <laughs> uh, <laughs> pre, pre, of the NFL. Post, yeah. yeah, yeah, pre-Toronto's championship in 1999, yes. uh, uh, 2019. They are that team in the NFL. They can go out and score at will instantly. Hmm. They lean into that a lot. 
Yeah. They're like, you know what? Don't worry about it. Defense, be risky. Go take risks. Do crazy stuff. Get dusted. It's fine because when Patrick goes out there, guess what's going to happen? We'll mm-hmm. score a touchdown real quick. We'll be oh. just fine. So it looks like what Kansas City is doing is they're just going out there playing willy-nilly, super comfortable, super relaxed, super chilled, and thinking it's going to win them games without realizing that, like you mentioned, this, this goes to what you talked about, the defenses being attacked. Teams are tweaking their, themselves around to go after them because they know that they're going to take those risks. Nick Wright made this comment this morning on First Things First, and I had to give him props for this because it made sense. He wasn't concerned about his Chiefs because he's a big Chiefs fan. He yeah. wasn't concerned about them because he knows that they are guaranteed to lose every single game when they lose a turnover margin 4-0. to zero. <laughs> And he's right. Any team that has a 4-0 to zero ratio where they turn the ball over four times and don't get a single turnover back, mm-hmm. you're going to take that L. That's the game. He doesn't expect them to turn the ball over more, which is right. But he pointed out one thing that jumped out at me, and that's what made me think about how loosey-goosey the way the Chiefs are playing. The Chargers went for it on fourth and nine. Mm-hmm. They went for it on fourth and nine against the Chiefs, Jimmy, <laughs> with like two minutes left in the game. I remember that. They went for it in fourth and nine in a game against the Chiefs, something you don't do. No one ever does that. But guess what? Every team is changing the way they play because why? They're playing the Chiefs. They're trying to keep Mahomes off the field. They're trying not to give them opportunity to score. It's a tie game. Instead of you taking a field goal, you go for it on fourth and nine. And I repeat that four times for a reason. That's not what you normally see. Mm. But what can what what the what the Chargers saw was is that that Kansas City defense is going to creep up. They're going to take risks. They're going to jump plays in hopes of stopping you. But they know that oh, don't worry, you're going to give Mahomes a minute and some change back. He's going to score. Just like we talked about with before show with Aaron Rodgers and there's certain players that can do that. That's where I am concerned about Kansas City is that they're getting way too loose with the ball. Mahomes throwing no look passes that leading to interceptions now because he's not leading the receiver instead of it's going behind them. And oh yeah, everybody doubling Tyree Kill. <laughs> so they're doubling Tyree Kill. They're putting the right defender on Kelsey. Who else is getting open? Their wide receivers aren't that good outside of those two now. Mm-hmm. They kind of – which they, they're going to add somebody else. We'll talk about that probably later. Uh, but, yeah, that that to me is the problem that Kansas City has, that they're too loose with the way they're playing the game. They need to tighten up. Mm-hmm. They need to have a, a, a small amount of fear of their opponents for a change. They need to go ahead and dial back to reality and realize that, oh, yeah, we're playing professionals, aren't we? Mm-hmm. They do watch film and realize that we're doing mm-hmm. certain things. We probably should pull back. Okay. So it's a so it's a mentality switch. This mentality that you're talk that you're talking about that they've had is gotten them past the last four years, and it's done yeah. so successfully. They've become the most spectacular offense in football. But that mentality is not going to work anymore. Now the mentality has to be one of urgency. One of even though the game is zero zero, <clears throat> we're already down ten, and we have to attack, attack, attack. And okay, so I see exactly what you're saying. Because yeah. look at the division. The Broncos are three and zero. Yeah, Raiders. The Raiders. Yeah. <laughs> the Raiders are undefeated. And Jimmy. the Chargers just beat them. Right. And the Chargers just beat them. In which the Chargers are two and one. Okay, so this is what they're doing. So they say we're going to attack Patrick Mahomes by attacking his defense, right? Because when you talked about that fourth and nine that they went on, it's either that or what punt the ball because they were kind of in. No, there was a field goal range. They could have kicked. They could have kicked the field goal. So though. then, if they kick the field goal, they go up what twenty seven twenty four. And then you're in another situation where either Mahomes is going to take the ball down and score 
or he's going to tie the game and you still don't want to go into overtime against Mahomes. So, yeah, you attack Mahomes by attacking his defense, which is letting you do it. And you're thinking to yourself, I'm thinking to myself, okay, how are they doing this? You have a pro bowler on the defensive line who never gets hurt. You have Tyron Matthew, who I think, what, missed a game because of COVID or something. But when he's out there, you always have to be aware of where the honey badger is. So it's got to be, instead of, all right, they're picking up Josh Gordon, right, in order to help boost the wide receiver core. Yeah. What about picking up a linebacker? Now, I know that there's no Pro Bowl linebacker who's just out there waiting to get a phone call. Yeah. But it seems like, to me, that's maybe one of the – that's the biggest weakness of this defense is that teams hmm. can attack you in the middle of the field. You don't want to throw – it's kind of like throwing against a user in Madden. You don't want to throw where Tyron is. You know Chris Jones is going to cause disruption. But I have all of this rest of the field there in the middle in order to operate and scheme to get my guys open. And that's what I'm going to do because there's no threat there. So that's, that's true. probably That's probably where they are attacking them the most. It probably will make the most sense. They need to um, consider that. But, yeah, uh, Casey, calm that bad boy down. Focus and understand that your division is actually really good this year and you might actually have the best quarterback set division in the NFL right now. Between you and the other West, the West has everything. So, well, we do this, of course, every Monday on the show. Got to give you guys uh, the latest update with the news. Jimmy has the news. Uh, thank you, Wendy. All right, Jay. So, uh, as expected, Philadelphia 76ers all-star Ben Simmons did not report to training camp today, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, uh, who reported that this is what was going to happen last week. Uh, when asked whether Simmons might be fine for not showing up, Daryl Morey said he wouldn't go into specifics, but added that it is a reasonable expectation of the path Philadelphia will take. And Daryl Morey is also saying that there is still hopefully, hopefully hope that there can be a reconciliation with Ben Simmons, a la Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. It's not happening. Y'all threw him under the bus. You basically put it out there. You didn't think that he could win a championship. You can't win a championship with him at point guard. And then you openly started trying to trade him. So I get Ben Simmons saying, why do I want to go to a team that doesn't want me? Why would I do that? when he truly can just sit out and take the fines and get traded somewhere. Well, so here's the problem. Here are the, the stories that we've gotten in the last week. Uh, Philadelphia 76ers' Doc Rivers wants to convince Ben Simmons to stay. Joel Embiid believes Ben Simmons' situation can be fixed. Report, Sixers teammates wanted to meet with Ben Simmons. He turned them away. Why are we just now seeing this? Why wasn't this your stance right after the horrific playoff performances that he had? This should have been from the oh. very beginning. Well, I can tell you why. Why? Because they were trying to trade him. <laughs> <laughs> it was open that they were trying to trade him, and now they maybe, realize maybe. that their price is too high. They need him on maybe. the court for now. Maybe, but on the backside, you still protect yourself because you're saying it now, but now it's too late. It's too late. He's already, too moved, late. The, already moved the stuff out of the house. It's too yep. late. All right, so up next, uh, lots of upsets in college football. Good Jay. Lord. Big time upsets. You had number nine, Clemson, going down to North Carolina State. You had Arkansas, number 16, taking down number seven, Texas A&M, who some people had put into the college football playoff. You had Baylor, unranked Baylor, taking down number 14, Iowa State. And you had an unranked Oklahoma State taking down number 25, Kansas State University. Oh, you know what this might be from? What? Transfer portal. People getting all these random players and random athletes just getting to, coming in because they want to start now, and they realize they're going to these these top tier programs, and they can't get they can't crack the um they can't crack the rotation. And now they're going somewhere where they can start. 
This might be a good thing. I actually like it. I like upsets. College football is so much better when there's at least one loss by everybody. Yep, but see, in a way, isn't it a bit uncomfortable that we can't really tell who the best teams are? I know it's easy to say Alabama, but they've been kind of pushed as well. So would would you say that this could be one of those seasons where we get like Let's say two th- two teams. Let's say three teams in the college football playoff that we didn't expect to be there. You think well, we will, but it's probably not going to be teams that we've never seen there before. Like I mentioned Oregon a long time ago. If Oregon can run the table and go, in, go mm-hmm. close to undefeated, they're going to be in there, and they've been there before. So it, it won't be anybody new like we hope, but uh-huh. it'll be nice to see uh, a different rotation in the standard Alabama-Clemson. Because Clemson's out now. They're done. Oh, yeah, finished. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, lastly, Denver Nuggets and forward Michael Porter Jr. have agreed on a five-year designated maximum extension that could be worth up to $207 million. Uh, Porter will hit that $207 million number if he makes one of three All-NBA teams this season. Otherwise, he will get the five-year rookie max of $172 million. Uh, do you think Michael Porter Jr. earned the bag that he got? Yeah, they need that. I mean, who else are going to get? I mean, the best thing with this deal is that it gives them the opportunity to, if they need to trade him, they can trade him for another star. The money will line up in mm-hmm. comparison and pass where it doesn't. So um, if they decide to make a run for Dame because Portland wants to go ahead and blow things up, honestly, they mm-hmm. got the opportunity now because their their salaries kind of match up. It'll be an easy swap. Do you think they would trade Jamal Murray for Dame? Like, who would Denver trade for Dame? Michael Porter Jr. Just Michael Porter Jr. Young. So you well, you send the youth over there so they can start over with somebody uh-huh. new. So you, you wouldn't want to send so a then you, you're sending you have a backcourt of Jamal Murray and Damian Lillard. Yeah, Dam- Jamal Murray's a two. He's not a one. But he's built like a t- he's built like a one. He's like he's not even taller than CJ McCollum, probably, right? Basically, but guess who else? they also got? They got Jokic, who kind of mm-hmm. orchestrates the offense, which makes it even easier for him. Mm-hmm. I don't know it could, could cause some defensive problems, but we'll see. We'll see. Yep. Is that it? Yep, news. Was Jimmy with the news? Oh, thank you, Bob. All right, Jay, let's uh, stick with the NFL. Um, tonight we have Monday Night Football. You have the Philadelphia Eagles one and one headed to Jerry World to take on the Dallas Cowboys. Yep, also <clears throat> one and one, and yet another. Uh, matchup between two division rivals, Jay. So it should be a, a really inter- interesting game. Either way, I mean, you've got the Dak versus Jalen Hurts angle. You've got the Philly D-line versus the Cowboys O-line. Are they still as good as they were before? And then you have the running back situation in Dallas where you have a running back, Tony Pollard, who easily outperformed and outshined Ezekiel Elliott in their 20-17 win against the Los Angeles Chargers last week. And it's got a lot of people asking asking questions uh, about this, about whether or not Tony Pollard is actually a better running back than Dallas's six-year, $90 million running back, Zeke Elliott. So I ask you this. Do you believe it's time to give Tony Pollard more snaps than Ezekiel Elliott? So I'm going to say no. I don't think that they should give him more snaps, but I think that they need to give Tony Parlett more snaps in general. So, and we talked about this in pre-production just for you guys to understand why this topic is coming up. Pro Football Focus on their daily pod had made mention about this and then it started to circulate where a lot of people are asking the same question because this year, everyone is noticing that Tony Parlett, when he's on the field, compared to when Zeke's on the field, the Cowboys kind of do better. For example, this year's numbers. Zeke, 27 carries, 104 yards, one touchdown, 3.9 yards per carry. Tony Pollard, 
16 carries, 123 yards, and a touchdown, 7.7 yards a carry. He is just under double, just under double the yards per carries than Zeke. Grade-wise, Tony Pollard is graded by uh, Pro Football Focus, a PFF, at a 90, which is number one, with 47 snaps this season. Zeke, 59.6. That's 41st in the NFL at 114 snaps. So he got almost three times as many snaps as Paul, Tony Pollard does. Zeke does. Mm-hmm. So and even, I even went look at DVOA. Offensively, Tony Pollard is number one overall, number two uh, on offense, and he's top five in every category, where Zeke is around set midway 17, 16, 17 in running backs in the NFL. The point behind this is – it might be time to give Tony Pollard more snaps and more time on the field comparison to what you're giving to Zeke. I don't feel it fully feel like you should replace Zeke with Tony Pollard, but I think you should mix it in. The only problem I'm running into when the thought process behind this is, is if you give Pollard more, does it start to eat away from him being as productive as he is when he's in there with those quick spurts? Because certain players, like, for example, when the, when the Cowboys used to have uh, Marion the Barbarian and Felix Jones together, uh-huh. Felix would always produce more, but he also played, it felt like less snaps than what you got from Marion Barber, mm-hmm. mainly because Marion was the bruiser. He'd take all the hits, he'd do the cuts and all of that, and then when you bring that change of pace in with Felix, seems to do a lot more. So... I don't think that Tony Pollard should start over Zeke, but I do think that he needs to eat into those snaps. Let Zeke, because Zeke is a one-cut, gone running back. You know what I'm saying? He Mm -hmm. makes that one cut and he goes. And Tony's way more versatile. Even though Zeke is a good pass catcher, Tony's a better pass catcher, and he also has a little bit more shiftiness to him. So, no, he should not start over Zeke, but, yes, the Cowboys need to play him more. I don't think the Dallas Cowboys can play him more. Really? I really I really don't. I don't think that they can because here are the repercussions of that. You know, for every action, there's going to be a reaction. Let's say you give him – now, Zeke, because he's been on this team and in this system so long, he would know if Tony Pollard is getting – if it was even two more snaps or three more snaps than he normally gets. Or if, if there are certain situations where he is put in there – over Zeke, where Zeke would usually be in those type of situations, he's going to notice. So then if you do that to Zeke, what's going to happen? That's going to start to slowly chip away at his confidence, which is already being chipped away because he knows that he's not the running back that he was two, really two years ago. So if that starts to happen, then that's going to affect his productivity. And then if that affects his productivity, mm. that makes the media's attention on this even worse on him, even louder, and that's going to affect his performance even more because, and this is what the media is waiting for, they're waiting for Tony Pollard to have another game where he's just way better than Ezekiel Elliott like he did in the last game. So if they see this happen again, primetime game, Monday Night Football, you can't hide anything. So if that happens, then this could start to slowly erode the confidence of Ezekiel Elliott. So then if that starts to happen throughout the season, then what's he going to become? He's going to become disgruntled. So then if he becomes disgruntled, what is that? Then you have an offseason controversy because now it's whether or not Zeke is going to stay on this team or potentially be traded. So then who is that affecting? Dak Prescott. Why? That's his best friend. So all this ties together. So you cannot, should you? Yes. Is Tony Pollard better than Zeke? Possibly. It's more productive. Is he better behind this offensive line that's not what it used to be? 
probably because he just has more of a lightning burst through the line than Zeke Elliott. Zeke Elliott used to have that. He doesn't have that anymore. But because of how this could ripple throughout this season in the offseason, I don't think you can. I don't think you can give Tony Pollard much more than what you gave him in that last game, which to me was plenty. I don't know if you should appease Zeke when he's not producing the numbers he should based upon that check. Now, mm-hmm. the other thing to keep in mind, and this is something that the guys at Pro Football Focus made a good point on, is that teams stack the box when Zeke's in the field. They know Zeke. They stack the box based upon him being a top, you know, a top 10 draft pick. Yeah. That's the respect that he's given by defenses, rightfully so, because once he gets going, he gets going. Tony's not given that same respect. That's a good thing for Dallas. Mm. It makes it to where they can get more. They can force teams to try to bring their safeties up to stop Tony, and then Dak can go over their head or go uh, do run play action. You can't really – it the, the, the play action doesn't seem like it's as effective with Zeke on the field right now because <laughs> they're stopping Zeke from running. Zeke's not really getting the yards that you want out of him. So – I don't think you should appease to Zach. I mean, Zeke in this situation. Why would you? Why appease to him just because you you want to make sure that his ego isn't fractured? You can trade Zeke. Teams will take him. Teams are looking for a number one running back like him that they could really use, especially as young as he is and as and productive as he is. And you can tell he's in super good shape. Mm-hmm. Teams will take him. I don't think you need this. I think that it's. Primarily because this is the Dallas Cowboys and no one gets the amount of attention or the amount of scrutiny for every little single thing that they do or every little single thing that happens to this team. So I think that on most other teams, you could get away with this and it would be no big deal whatsoever. Because if Zeke Elliott was a Cincinnati Bengal and then you had Tony Pollard behind him and this same thing came up it would not be as big of a deal because he's a Bengal. No one really cares that much, so not as much attention will be on this as opposed to whoever the running backs are in Dallas. So I, I do think, I again, if, if you're – now, you picked them to go how far? Cowboys? Yes. I have them going to the um, – I got them going to the NFC Championship. You got them going to the NFC Championship, right? So – so many things have to go right. So many things have to be in a row. There's so many egos and and individual confidences that cannot be shattered if you're going to work your way through the regular season to put yourself in a position to get that far in the postseason. This could be one of those things because we've seen this before, how Ezekiel Elliott has been a lightning rod. And what's funny about him, he doesn't really even have to say much. No, he he's, doesn't. He's not verbal. But so that shows you just how much attention yeah, he right. can get. And therefore, that can show you just how easily something like this can disrupt the locker room. It can fracture the locker room because then you would have a Tony Pollard camp and you would have a Zeke Elliott camp. Dallas doesn't need that. I wonder if they already got that going, though. I mean, mean, if you think about if Tony's being as productive as he is and he's grading so high on the analytics by being as productive, I mean, why isn't there a controversy? It makes sense. Zeke was not very good last year, which rightfully so. He was literally the only good player um, at the line of scrimmage Mm -hmm. that could do anything because the wide receivers rely on a quarterback that couldn't throw the ball very well. So you hand the ball to Zeke, he had to do everything. So, of course, they were stacking the box because they knew that Dalton wasn't going to really harm them. But Tony is really producing a lot better than Zeke. So, I don't know. I think, Cowboys fans, I'm curious to what you guys think about this. Uh, let don't us know uh, who do you think should get more snaps. Mm. I still think Zeke should get more snaps. Uh-huh. I just think that Tony should eat into that 144. Okay, do this for me. How many – all right, do you have the game pulled up from last time? Uh, the last the game, Chargers? I can pull it up. Because I think that – let's see, one of them had 16 carries. I think it was Tony Pollard. 
and I don't know how much Zeke had, but I'm curious as to what you think the the carries are going to be tonight against Philadelphia. Like, who's going to get more? How many would you predict for each player? So last game, Pollard had 13 carries for okay. 109. Uh-huh. And Zeke, Zeke had, was it sixteen for seventy one? I think he had six. Oh, so I'm looking right now. Rushing sixteen for seventy one. Yes, okay. and a touchdown. So they okay. both had a touchdown. One, two, three more carries mm-hmm. for Zeke. Way more yards for Tony. Right. Um, and they both had. Well, it looks like Tony had three catches while Zeke had two catches. Okay, so over under, over under mm-hmm. on Tony Pollard. We'll say twelve and a half carries. What would you What would you take? Oh, I'll take the over. Take the over. Oh, I easily take the over in that. Yeah, you gotta get. You've gotta get. You've gotta give that man more than twelve carries. Okay, so if he gets more carries or about as many carries as Zeke, and he's more productive than him, do you see that leading to some type of controversy after this? Oh yes, mm-hmm. has to be. I mean, I get, I get that you're paying Zeke all this money, but at the same yeah. time, if one's being more productive, you probably mm-hmm. should be riding that thing. But see, this only matters if they win, right? Because if if they lose, then it doesn't matter who got. What amount of carries you lost the game? But if they win the game, and then it looks like it's more because of Tony Pollard than Ezekiel Elliott, then that's a bigger controversy. Depends right? on how you lose. Yeah, I think that that's more important is to determine how did you lose that game. If you lost the game because of just um, if it was a turnover or a fluke, mm. then it probably wouldn't be that big of a deal. Uh, actually, it would be more of a bigger deal if it was a fluke or something than in just just getting your butts kicked. You better <laughs> not lose to the Eagles. I know that much. <laughs> say that so okay we'll see Cowboys fans let us know what you think uh, I would love to get your feedback on who should be starting or getting more snaps should it be Zeke should it be Tony Pollard alright before we jump into Frozen 5 and one word thank you for tuning in here on our YouTube channel as well as listening to us on the podcast wherever podcasts are downloaded and listen to please like subscribe Rate, review, follow, all of that jazz, and give us five stars. I think we deserve it. Just give us five anyway. Gift it. Gift it. And leave a comment on the video. We'd love to get your opinion. So, I'm going to go ahead and go through my frozen five from this last week. We had a winning week. Another winning week. Another winning week. Uh, three and two. Chew it four and one. And I'll explain that when I talk about the losers, which I'll start with now. I don't know why the hell I took the Raiders. <laughs> Minus four at I mean, the house. They were up against the backup quarterback. It was a backup quarterback and a team that was reeling, not looking very good. They let them come back at the end of the game twice to tie the game, go into overtime, and then they won the game on a stupid freaking field goal. Pissed me <laughs> off. But that was my favorite pick. I threw a lot of money on that game. Oh. I knew the Raiders. It was perfect. Perfect scenario, but they jizzed it for me. So, my second loss is where I should have had the win because this was my pick the entire week, and then I changed it right at the last minute. That Jaguars plus mm. seven against Arizona at home in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. It looked great the entire game. Jacksonville led most of the game. It was beautiful. And then Trevor Lawrence did exactly what I knew Trevor Lawrence was going to do because he's a rookie quarterback. He threw an interception. It was a pick six. And that pick six right there was the nail in the coffin. That was all I needed. I figured it was going to be more of a shootout. I thought that Trevor was going to get settled. And I felt like Arizona was going to go in there and look past them. 
because they have what's that the Chargers next week or is that the is that the uh, something like or is that. it the Rams? I think it's the Rams. Yeah, it's the Rams. Yeah, 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 they got a divisional game next week, and so I figured yeah they got the Rams. So I figured they were looking past mm-hmm. Jacksonville and going in preparation for them, and that did not happen because of that pick six. Pick six didn't happen. That game was close, especially because of that 109 yard uh, field goal return for a touchdown. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, there we go, baby. <laughs> looking good. jizzed it. So anyway, Dubs, real quick on those. Browns minus seven. I knew the Bears was going to get there, but when I heard that, that Justin Fields was going to be out there, we'll talk about him later. Knew that was going to happen. Yep. Bengals, Steelers, <laughs> knew that was going to happen. Um, they ruined me. So Bengals plus three was perfect. And then the Broncos did exactly what I expected. You, every pick this season, bet against rookie quarterbacks. Yep. It seems to be the winners. <laughs> and that is the Frozen Five recap. Very good, sir. Presented by me. <laughs> um, but all right, we got one word. All right, dive into one word. Um, and so Jimmy, I've got five scenarios, six deals for you. Okay, want you to give me one word to what you think about it? Are you ready? One word on Aaron Rodgers' thirty-seven second comeback. Bastard. <laughs> As a 49ers fan, I was like, "You bastard!" Two thirty-seven seconds. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Too much time. Too much time. And you know. <laughs> that was the fan in me talking. Yeah, I mean, was, they yeah. played a very clinical game. I don't know if you – I watched this last Monday when they played against Detroit. Mm-hmm. Have you watched Peyton and Eli? There oh, is, yeah. Love it. They're the best. I love it. They're yeah. hilarious. And they were talking about how Detroit was playing a lot of too high safety in order to keep him from going deep. So the game plan when they do that is to run the ball, which they did, and you know, kind of hit intermediate passes, but don't try to just – burn them down the field. And that's what he did. So Force the safeties yeah. up. So having played that way last week, they were well prepared to play that exact same way this week. You had a couple of rookies trying to hold Devontae Adams. I mean, they were just back-shouldering him to death. There's nothing you can do. That back-shoulder connection that Rodgers and Adams had is just uncanny, number one in the league. So I, the 49ers, they played hard. Jimmy G, he played about – generally about as well as he can play. He did things you expect him to do, which is to, you know, to play well, to put him in a position to win, but a turnover or two is what ultimately decides who wins and who loses the game. And he had two turnovers, a fumble and an interception. So, but but yeah, no, no, I'm with you on that. Rogers. Yeah. Like we mentioned pre-show and I mentioned this earlier in the show actually as well. About four quarterbacks in the NFL that if you give them more than thirty, you give them more than thirty seconds, you're done. Yep. You know, you got Rodgers, you got Brady. We saw Brady do that recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is definitely one of those guys. Mm-hmm. Who's our fourth guy? Uh, Russ, and then Russell Wilson, who will somehow cook whenever that moment comes in. All right, mm-hmm. next one. One word. The Detroit Lions last second L on a record-setting sixty-six-yard field goal by Justin Tucker. <laughs> Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> That is so Detroit. Just, just couldn't. Oh, I feel so. I felt so bad for them. I was just I sitting did. there. Now I know we know Justin Tucker, how great of a field goal kicker he is. This puts him in the goat conversation. He may already be the goat because I know people will say Adam Vinatieri, maybe the most, or Jason clutch, Elam, or Justin, but Vinatieri, the most clutch kicker we can say. But Jason Elam? yeah, as far you know, he won like three Super Bowls on, on his leg. I mean, and he held the record at sixty-three yards for a yeah. long time. But, but I was like. Tucker, a 66-yarder in Detroit? No way. No way. And, of course, that is just so Detroit where you lose in a game you should have won, in a game that you bit off just as many kneecaps as you could but just didn't bite the kneecap with Justin Tucker, and he beats you with an all-time, probably the greatest field goal outside of Super Bowl kicks, greatest field goal in the regular season ever kicked. 
Longest field goal, 66 yep, yep. yards. Longest. That, it was that's beautiful. Just, that's just the destroyed. hop he did right before he did the kick, you can tell that he knew he did the trajectory, uh, got it, got the boom. Did Dan, did Dan Campbell in. really cry after that happened? He probably did. He had to because, I mean, that is, uh, that's depressing. You know what? I do like Detroit's fight. Um, this is something that I said in that first game against yeah. San Francisco where they could have mailed it in and they didn't. Last week's game against the Packers was it was a lot closer than that 35-17 to 17 score. They kind of got away from him at the end, yeah. I think. But um, I really do like the fight in this team. Um, they're not good, Agreed. but they have a lot of fight, and this was evidence of that. They almost took down the team who took down the Chiefs last week. Yep, and but, um, uh, I'll say, if anything, um, my one word for that one is going to be uh, Savior, and that will be for Justin Tucker, yeah. who definitely made uh, Hollywood Brown feel a lot better about himself because mm-hmm. Hollywood dropped three touchdowns in that game. Three. Not one. Not two. <laughs> And out three. And I don't care what anybody says. That third one that I mentioned in, that was kind of questionable because the corner got his finger. No, no, no. That would have been a touchdown if Hollywood would have brought it in like he did all of his the other ones. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I saw he tweeted out, yeah, man, he loves Tuck because Tuck saved his keister, mm-hmm. yep. and he really did. All right. One word for this one. Okay. Bears benching Justin Fields, should they? What's one word behind Justin Fields going back to the bench? I keep coming up with two word answers. Justin Fields going back to the bench. Now. Do it now. You know, we've talked about this before. As a matter of fact, I think we talked that day. I said that Justin Fields is not ready to play. You said he was. We talked about it. And I thought I about wrong. it. I'm like, I thought about, okay, well, why am I saying that? I'm saying that because with what this team is capable of doing or how this offensive line will say is not capable of protecting him. He does not need to be in there. He doesn't know how to face this type of a situation. And all that can happen is that we talked about confidence earlier with Ezekiel Elliott. All you're going to do is he rode, you know, your future franchise quarterback's confidence. And when that happens, psychologically, it is really hard for them to repair that. So I say, because, you know, you have Nick Foles who has won a Super Bowl over the GOAT. Put him in there because he can handle those kind of situations that they faced yesterday. Right there, just, you know, chilling. But But you know what, Matt Nagy, in Matt Nagy, he's the villain right now. I looked at film of this game, and I looked at some local Chicago uh, TV after this game. Everybody's blaming back on Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. 100% and, on them. Cool, well, that's the thing about it. It is 100% on them. And he's made it worse because now it's basically an open competition because, yeah, I know Dalton's health is is in question. You have Nick Foles and you have Fields. He wouldn't declare who the starter was going to be in the next game. He said all three could be the starter. So he's already eroded his confidence after one start. Now I think that Justin Fields, because he is mature, he's a leader, he can bounce back from that. But I don't want to see him behind – Behind this offensive line, I don't want to see him in this version of the team. Well, I mean, he's also a first round pick, so he understands that if you're first, if you're a pick in the first or second round at quarterback, you're going to play. Mm-hmm. That that's an investment that when a team makes an yep. investment at that level, yep. you're definitely going to play and you're going to get your opportunities. And so, yeah, now is a good time. That was actually my word too. Now, go ahead and just send him back. Mm-hmm. Uh, let him sit behind Foles. Let Foles go out there and do a couple things. Let Foles get killed, and then you can, <laughs> right. and then Justin can be prepared for next year. Or at least he can think about the way things are. So, mm-hmm. all right, next one, one word. Josh Allen's performance on the Washington football team: three fifty-eight, four touchdowns, and a rushing touchdown. Hmm. Give me that stat line again: three fifty-eight, four touchdowns with a rushing touchdown. So five touchdowns total. Mm-hmm. MVP. 
MVP. You're giving him that already. Hell no, I'm not giving that. He's not going to win it, but he's thinking, I'm still an MVP candidate. Y'all thought I was a Josh Allen in the first two games, feeling good about yourself, talking all that noise, talking about it's the same Josh Allen. First talking year, about that yin yang. Couldn't complete 44% of his passes. Nope, this is me. I'm back. MVP, baby. Put me back in the conversation. Because now, I don't know if this is. I don't. I can't figure out this Washington football team defense because we went into the season just based on how great that offensive, that defensive line is. I thought they were supposed to be so much better than they have been this season. That defense has been bad. I don't know if it's because of the linebacker position. I don't know. I guess I don't know what's going on with the cornerback position. But I thought that that defensive line, because of the amount of pressure that they were able to generate consistently last season, would help to make up for whatever those deficits are. But it's like the defense is just absent. Like they're still stuck in training camp. I don't know what's going on with this team, but either way, this was like the perfect opportunity for, I should have said mojo, for Josh Allen to get his mojo back. He definitely got it. He looked like 2020 <laughs> Josh Allen MVP candidate, and that's what he showed. Maybe they were just overrated last year, and they were a product of the quarterbacks Dang. they were going against. Yeah, this know, year, they're going against a better quarterback. Dang. They started with Justin Herbert. I mean, Danny Dimes is man. They're going to see him twice anyway. Mm-hmm. But then they uh, went up against Josh Allen, and who's I, pretty good. And, and I feel so foolish for my belief because I picked them to win the division. I should have never picked a Dan Snyder team to ever win the division. I know he's more hands-off of the organization, but he's still the primary owner of that team. Uh, this is a bad team. They might they might literally finish last in this division. I know that they, they beat the Giants, right? I can't say that they're better than the Giants. I really can't. Not right now. Yeah. Okay, next up. Give me a one word on Seattle's loss to Minnesota in Minnesota. Uh-oh. Because it's not just Minnesota. They've lost two in a row. You lost to Tennessee on your own home field. Nobody's talking about it. You're getting away with it right now, but that's not going to last. There's a problem. What is the problem? I mean, it doesn't seem to be Russ, even though I don't think Russ played a very good game against this Minnesota team. And Minnesota's got actually still got a good defense now that they've gotten Daniel Hunter back. But um, this could be a sign of some some problems on this. And I think after this game, the the cornerbacks or a cornerback blamed the scheme for why they lost. And Pete Carroll, I guess, was made aware of this and expressed his disappointment. So that already shows you Uh-oh. there's some discord. Yeah, discontent, some yeah, more. discontent in that out- under yeah, him already. As far as whose fault it is, but losing two in a row, when you see yourself as a team that can go deep in the playoffs and with a quarterback like Russ and with those receivers, you should be able to do something like that. You sell Bobby Wagner, you pay Jamal Adams all this money. Something's going on. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the way that this team is constructed, especially on the defensive side. It, it I don't. I don't know. I don't. Tyler Lockett got a little hurt, a little twisted up knee. He got back in the game. He did. But he's, he's going to be sore. Has a little residual pain later. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what to think about that defense, man. I mean, Jamal Adams, you gave him his money, but is he really changing things on the defensive side? It, feel, it feels like mm-hmm. it feels like their problem is their pass rush. Like, they're just not getting pressure. But I don't know. I haven't went to go look at the grades and the stats mm-hmm. yet. Um, just no reason to really look. They lost right. two games in a row. Like, <laughs> right. why, what do I need to go find the exact reason for? Yeah. I'll go read up on the local Seattle media, but it just doesn't look like they're getting it. Something's wrong. I guess. Uh oh, it's two words technically. Yeah, technically it is. Right. Yeah. Oh, so we just go. With, oh, oh, oh. There you go. Oh, that's bad. Last one. Raiders struggling with Miami. I picked them in my Frozen Five like a dip, but they end up winning in overtime, thirty-one twenty-eight. Um on the last second field goal that 
they should not have even had to have kicked mm-hmm. because they should have won the game 25 to 17 like I expected them to when they were up 25 to 17. Who was that they beat last week? I know they beat the Ravens week one. Who did they beat last? Oh, they beat uh, the Steelers, right? It's mm-hmm. like 26-17. Um, struggling, I would say, really? Really? You let Jacoby Brissett on your own home field push you to the brink? Jacoby Brissett. Like, really, you should have beat them 42-20. to 20. And I'm not saying Joe Kobe Brissett's a bum. He's not. You know, he's been a part of some really good organizations, Patriots, Colts. He's seen it done the right way. So I think that as far as backup quarterbacks goes, he is still pretty good. But with the way you've been playing and with the, the pass rush that you've been getting from Max Crosby, who's emerged, emerging as one of the better defensive ends in football, as well as Derek Carr, who's looking to break the, the single-season passing yardage record, um, you really – it's one thing to to play like the Ravens close. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to when you play the Chiefs, you're going to have to if you beat them it's going to be a close game. We know that. But Miami, and I know that Miami is solid because I really like Brian Flores and what he does. But in that type of a situation, you should not have let this team with their backup quarterback and with no really no run game to speak of, that's a threat to anybody. And no identifiable receiver that you fear. You should not let that team, as they are now, push you to the brink like that. And you can't keep doing that because some of these you're going to start losing if you keep going to OT with these teams. Yeah, it's true. Mm-hmm. You know, you're right. Mine is missing. They're mm-hmm. missing one thing. Uh, we A don't pass rush. Oh, I thought you were going to say Josh Jacobs. No, no, no. Uh, Peyton Barber ran for 111 yards. They're just fine okay. on the ground. Uh, King and Drake added 24 more yards. Uh-huh. They're fine on the ground. Their problem is they have no pass rush. They gotta do Max Crosby, he's not enough of a pass rush? No, they need more. They should have kept Khalil Mack, basically. You know, the report saying that they wanted to trade back for him again to get him back. Yep. Yeah, they, they should have hung on to him from jump, mainly because you had Jacoby Brissett, who was only sacked twice in this game. Mm. And you know what Jacoby Brissett is known for in the NFL? Mm. Holding the ball too damn long. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't even take advantage of that? <laughs> I ain't want to hear no more. So for that, in that sense, do you see, because they are 3-0, do you still see them as a bona fide contender to win that division? I mean, they are 3-0. Mm-hmm. Do I think they're a true contender? Yeah. I have to see them play against the Chiefs, even though they give the mm-hmm. Chiefs hell. Let mm-hmm. me see if the Chiefs wise up, like I mentioned in the first segment, that they need to stop being so loose and actually f- play better schemes mm-hmm. and not just go after whatever they want to and think that Mahomes is going to fix it. Because I do think this defense is actually really good. They're better. Uh, their, corner, their corners are solid. Mm-hmm. I love was a Hayward Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, digging him out there. Um, and uh, you, got, you got Abram. He's the he's the head hunter. You got him exactly. They they've got a they've got a really good defense. Um, I just and uh, I was at uh, Trayvon uh, Mullins Jr. as well. The juniors out there, the junior mm-hmm. anchors. <laughs> they they're solid. I just I don't know yet. I don't know if I trust them just yet. I don't. You know, I would I would actually trust Denver more than them because I think Denver is a team that people are kind of. You know they're kind of not paying en- enough attention to because there's nothing sexy about Denver to be. No, honest. it's Teddy Bridgewater right. and the and, and a bunch of young people with the right. monstrous defense. But that'd be the team in the AFC, like sort of a dark horse type team. That would probably be the team that I would kind of be worried about a little bit more than the than the Raiders. Yeah, I think I'm more worried about Denver than the Raiders right now. Mm-hmm. We'll see what it looks like. All right, so Jay, before we wrap it up and put a bow on it, let's go to the landscape of college football where you had the primetime game this Saturday. Our very own Oklahoma Sooners, number four ranked team in at college football. The time. Yeah, at the time. 
<laughs> right, exactly. At the time, um, hosting West Virginia, the West Virginia Mountaineers. And OU uh, squeaked by in a win. Most of you know this. They won 16 to 13. Spencer Rattler went for 256 yards, one touchdown, and one pick. Um, there were a lot of a lot of drives, a lot of times where this didn't look like the typical Lincoln Riley video game offense. Even going back to the offenses in the Bob Stutes era that were very, very efficient, very up and down the field and could hang 40 on you before halftime. This was not that type of offensive performance. And there was a point in the game, Jay, where the student section for OU could be heard uh, chanting for Caleb Williams, the five-star quarterback who is behind Spencer Rattler, who looks to be the heir apparent whenever Rattler leads the team. But they were calling for Caleb Williams to get in there and replace Spencer Rattler. So with that, Jay, should OU actually listen and put in Caleb Williams? Hell no. (laughs) (laughs) And let me me, me go ahead. Let me go and turn turn the camera real quick. All right. Mm. Let me explain something to you Sooner fans. Let me explain something to you Sooner fans. Right in the camera when I say this. You're spoiled. You're acting like a petulant child right now. You're sport rotten. You're used to offenses that are super explosive and all this jazz and all this, that, and the other. I do wish Oklahoma was more like Alabama where they just had a, a nice little um, uh, little factory of just mm-hmm. dominance that keeps just being um, that keeps being churned out and put on the field, but they don't. It's not, it's not the game. It's not how it is. Oklahoma's never going to get to that point. They'll be able to compete, but not get to that point. But this is my point. Y'all did this exact same thing last year to Jalen Hurts for Spencer Rattler. You Two years ago. You got Spencer Rattler now, guys. He's your quarterback. Last year was kind of a blase year because mm-hmm. of COVID and everything. No one really cared. This year, in shocking development, the defense is better than the offense. <laughs> And I'm not joking there. The defense held this team to 13 points. Now, is West Virginia just a powerhouse in scoring points? Meh. Scored 24 against Maryland. He scored 27 against West uh, against Virginia Tech. West Virginia is known for having similar air raids, but Oklahoma did a really good job of what? Playing defense. So the defense is doing their job. The problem that Oklahoma has, this is not a Spencer Rattler problem. This is more of a Lincoln-Riley scheme, offense, holistic issue. Spencer Spencer Rattler completed 71% of his passes in this game. Mm -hmm. He did his job. He orchestrated the drive to the game-winning field goal. You look like he was calm and everything. But you know what it looked like he had when he was doing that? He had blocking for a change in that last drive. That line is awful. That's an that line is off. I didn't realize this line was going to be this bad. This may question the opportunity to go to the national championship because the line can't block. And so if the defense is playing good, but the offensive line can't keep the quarterback from having to quickly tuck, because he's been he's been tucking and trying to run, and he's not a scrambler. He's not a dual threat. He is a pocket passing quarterback. Mm. It's obvious because he can't get past nobody <laughs> at all. Uh, now, Caleb could probably do better at that. But Caleb would also be tucking and running nonstop. And eventually, teams are going to be prepared for that, especially if the deep offensive line's not blocking. That's your problem. That's one thing. Two, the receivers are not getting open as fast as they used to. And you got to remember, in the way that Lincoln Riley's setup is, his scheme has always been the play develops, then the wide receivers are just butt naked open. But it takes time to do that. And what do they not have? Time. 
<laughs> they don't have it. So that's the problem I've seen watching that game and looking at the wave thing. I was, I was asking the entire game, like, why is the wide receivers not getting any separation? Why aren't the wide receivers open? What's taking so long? Why is the line collapsing so quickly? So as much as I would love to see Caleb Williams out there, Caleb Williams would get killed with this line. Let's 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 get him a better offensive line, which will be next year. Everyone will mm. be more experienced. Mm. They'll be better prepared next year. But this year, nah. Don't put the freshman out there just so he can get killed. That makes no sense. You know, when I talked in the news segment about all of the ranked teams that got popped this weekend, right? You know, and we know that in this type of a game, one of those teams could have been OU, but it was that they won the game. I think you have to appreciate that this is going to be that type of season where you're going to see things like that. We're still, in a sense, we're a little bit more back to normal in college football, but we're still dealing with with COVID. It's still a strange year, still a strange time, and we've seen some strange results already through four weeks in college football. So you can't look at this season the way you would in seasons past where where it's clean because things tend to happen in more of an ordered fashion where your blue bloods, your traditional powerhouse programs eventually don't go through certain things that they seem to be going through this season. So I say that to say you cannot compare this season, and this is part of what you were saying too, you can't compare this season or this team to any other version of an OU team. And you really shouldn't because clearly this team plays different. Like you said, it's probably been well over two decades since the OU defense is better than the offense. But if you say that out loud, you should appreciate that because what does everybody say every single year, especially when they lose, is OU's defense. They'll never have a defense. Bring Red Venables back. Blah, 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 blah. They finally have a really good defense that has given up 16 points in this last game and 13 points in the game before that. And when you think about it, too, as they make this transition into the SEC, whenever it will be, there are going to be more games like this against more teams who play sort of more pro style as opposed to spread offenses. So you're going to have to get comfortable and get used to winning games like this so that they're doing it now actually helps them because we know that this Lincoln Riley team, if you have faith in him and you love him as your coach and you've seen what he's done just in the short time that he's been the coach of OU, seems like a short time, but it's been what, five, six years maybe? Yep. You know that he's going to figure this out. You know that he's going to get the offense back to at least around the 28 to 30 point mark, maybe beyond. We're used to them scoring in the 40s uh, consistently. But while he's doing that, it's good to know that this defense is probably right where they need to be. They're finally getting to the point that they've needed to be to where if we had the defense like this, then in seasons past, we probably would have been competing for more championships, not just going to the playoffs, but actually getting to the championship game. So you should feel glad. Look at the silver lining. Finally, we've got a defense that can start to intimidate people, that can start to get stops and make the job easier on the offense, which will become even easier once they figure out what is causing them to stall. Yeah. So I like it. I like what I'm seeing. Yeah, I I think long term they'll be fine. Last year he took a while to get going. In the last the beginning of the season he looked atrocious. (laughs) But the last seven games of last season, he threw fifteen touchdowns, two interceptions in the final seven games, and he started to show flashes of that brilliance that we thought that he was gonna be the Heisman favorite for. Mm -hmm. I think they can get back to that. But what they're gonna have to do is start working toward that like now. They need to start figuring out what they need to tweak on the offensive line. If they can give Rattler time, I believe that he'll be just fine as far as leading this team to the playoff. Mm-hmm. There's no reason for OU to not go undefeated this year. It's set perfectly for them to go undefeated. All Rattler needs to do is make better decisions, which decision-making has never been his best, best asset. True. Um, but if he gets out there and makes better decisions, 
Um, and he takes his time to really get and and let the plays develop. And Riley needs to create some plays that develop faster. Now, mm-hmm. go ahead and use the use that five star speed that you have. You got a ton of five stars out there. Put them five stars to work in those high four stars. Get them out there in the open field quicker with your schemes, and I think that they'll be just fine long term. Because this Texas game coming up, Red River Shootout, boy, <laughs> it's gonna be a problem. You can't, you can't lose to Texas, and there's a good chance because boy, and, and see, and that's the problem with with Texas being in two weeks. You have Kansas State coming up and you don't want that to turn into a look ahead game because you know how traditionally how tough Kansas State plays this team exactly and they're at Kansas State this year yes they are and Kansas State's coming off that L to O State so they're gonna be pissed they're mad yeah and they're gonna want to take it out on OU so they gotta be ready for that and and it could be this very type of game 16 to 13 23 to 16 and that's what I'm saying since they've been in two of these and now you don't want to go through this every single week there are a few of these where you want to win comfortably but you do have to and you do want to get used to winning in these types of games because it's one of it's like a soccer match where every little thing matters and just that one mistake, especially in the second half, yeah. could just bury you in a game like this where both teams are having trouble moving the ball. Yeah, ground out W's are very good for your character. and re- re- makes you recognize that you're going through a lot of adversity the entire game, not mm-hmm. just uh, at the end or even at the beginning. It's, it's it's the entire game because you're it's a slugfest. And like, like I mentioned, their defense to me looks like they're better than the offense and they're doing more dynamic things and you want that OU needs to have a better defense and show everyone that because that the joke is a running joke will forever be <laughs> Big 12 don't play defense because mm-hmm. all the offenses be putting up numbers except for when they play against other Big 12 teams sometimes some of these Big 12 teams be shutting them down just like they do when they go play SEC teams that's not named Alabama mm-hmm. or LSU or Georgia basically the top three so what they need to do in this Kansas State game is make a statement they need to keep the defense up if they win that Kansas State game 23-13 to 13 or something like that, I'll be just fine. Mm-hmm. Just don't let Kansas State score more than 13 points. Mm-hmm. Don't let them have two touchdowns. If you can keep them from scoring two touchdowns, then I might jump back on the Oklahoma bandwagon <laughs> hard uh-huh. because that's what they've been needing is a team with a defense because they go against Texas at the Red River Shootout, and they got that type of a defense, mm-hmm. and they can keep, uh, what was that, Bijan Robinson – the monster who's probably going to win the Heisman Trophy. Uh, yeah, I'm. Um, I will be sold in Oklahoma going the distance. So, so there any room floor, Jimmy? Had any room floor? We didn't make it into the show. Uh, all right. So the United States in golf. United States reclaimed the Ryder Cup, handing Ooh. Europe its worst loss in a 19 to nine victory, just totally dominating the European team. And um, really making uh, America and American golf uh, look good with a dominating performance. Did you, did you watch any of this? I did <laughs> not. Did you watch any of this? I did not. I missed all of it. But that's good to hear. I'm glad all America's doing some things. Yeah. All right. Uh, up next. So there is um, an all-time NBA great, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who's got a solution as we approach the NBA season for those players who uh, refuse to get vaccinated. And you know, as we know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has got a history as far as like social, talking about social political issues, author, brilliant guy. I'm glad we still have him. But he says that unvaccinated players should be removed from the teams if they refuse to get vaccinated. Now, I'm not sure if he means temporarily, like suspension in a sense until they get vaccinated or if he just means you're not an NBA employee until you get vaccinated. 
I that's an extreme one. I honestly do not know. Um, I do think I think he's wrong on this one. Um, I get what he's saying, but nah, dog, that's we might have to do a special episode in the middle of the week to talk through all of these uh, media day stuff because yeah, it's been a lot. It's been heavy on the NBA side with media day. Mm-hmm. Ooh, buddy. Yeah. All right. Uh, lastly, uh, Zion Williamson, star Zion Williamson, underwent offseason surgery on a broken foot. And the Pelicans are optimistic, single quotes, that he will be ready for the season opener, according to VP of Basketball Operations, David Griffin. I did see him uh, do his interview, and he was all excited. He was like, yeah, that's a great question. I'm really happy here. So that means that he's going to be getting his rookie extension, and then as soon as he's right at the end of the day, he's going to ask for a trade. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I heard about that exact same thing. I heard that. When the collective bargaining agreement comes back up, which I think is in a year or two, yep, is twenty twenty three. That that's something that the owners are going to want to try to figure out how to get around to where you give a rookie or whoever it is his max deal, and then right then they give you the deuces and say, "I'm not happy, trade me." So that, that's going to be a problem. But uh, my my angle on this was more so that they're optimistic he'll be ready for the opener. No, he won't. He, I have I think no. He'll be ready, but will he's he? young. I just don't have faith in this new New Orleans team. They mismanaged his knee injury his rookie season, and it cost him the Rookie of the Year trophy because he missed so much time in the beginning. That's and true. John Morant took the – and I just don't trust New Orleans. And I think that's part of the reason why. I don't think his family trusts him either. Well, I, 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 get, yeah, I mean, Actually, there's reports out there. Him. Yeah, there's reports out there that they yeah. don't, and I think it'll be fine. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Well, as usual, we appreciate y'all joining us. Here on Unfair Sports. Thank you for checking us out on YouTube as well as wherever podcasts are downloaded and listen to. While you're there, please like, subscribe, rate, review, and give us five stars. You think we deserve it? And just give us five anyway. Gifted. Gifted. So, for Mike, Bob, and Winnie, thank you so much for doing what you do best on the back inside. Coach Jimmy, uh, make sure you hit us up. 430-901-1906. Give us your opinions on the Cowboys. If you think the Rams are the NFC's best team, should we be concerned about the Chiefs and all of that stuff? I have my Frozen 5 picks podcast form later on this week. I'll give you one topic, give you the Frozen 5. We're going to stay on the winning train with Jay. And we're going to do it. Go make Keep money. Keep these dogs going, baby. Yep. yep. So with that, we'll chop it up with y'all in a few days. Peace. Peace. <laughs> oh, yeah.